Hi, I'm Lanise Brothers, a registered nutritionist, women's health, hormone, and menstrual cycle coach, and the founder of Eat Love Move, a nutrition and well being practice. This is the Period Story Podcast, where in each episode, I sit down with a guest to talk about their period story. We get behind some of the myths and misconceptions about periods and so much more. Now, on to today's guest. For the last episode of season four, I'm so excited for you to hear my conversation with Lola Ross, who is a fellow nutritionist and the co-founder of the amazing menstrual cycle and mood tracking app, Moody Month. If you haven't downloaded the app already, I definitely suggest that you check it out. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation. On today's show, we have Lola Ross. So I'm really excited to interview. Um, Lola is a registered nutritionist like me, and she's founded a amazing period and menstrual cycle tracker moody month welcome to the show Lenise. thank you for having me let's get into the first question i ask all of my guests which is tell me the story of your very first period well it's it's actually funny because I, <laughs> I i was thinking about that quite recently um just because i was having a conversation with somebody else about about their first period and actually, I took my first period really in my stride. I was, I think, 12, maybe 13. And I already have, um, I'd already kind of experienced it through my older sister, who's only 18 months older than me. So she kind of had her period. We were talking about it. We were really excited. And then I was just kind of waiting for mine to arrive. And so when it did, I was just happy to kind of join the club so to speak. And yeah, and so <laughs> so the reason why it's, I'm laughing is because I was quite geeky when I was young. I used to archive lots of things, collections of like laces and, you know, stinky stickers and, you know, all these kinds of like collectible things. I even had like stamps at one, one point. Um, and I remember, and I used to write a diary avidly when I was younger. And I remember cutting out, taking my first period stain knickers and I actually cut them and stuck them (laughs) inside my diary and I covered it with like plastic and that was like the moment and I had it in my diary. So I kept this diary for years and years and years, but for some reason it's disappeared. So I'm hoping that it hasn't ended up in some random book seller's store secondhand store and someone's going to be like what is this period stain cut out on my in this bloody diary anyway yeah so that was my my first period wow so you you saved your knickers for posterity do you remember what you felt around that time and what perhaps you wrote in the diary you know I can't remember what I wrote in the diary but as I said I felt good about having the period. I felt like I joined the club with my big sister. It kept us bonded. Um, And I guess I probably wrapped up in that I felt more mature and more grown up. And, you know, I could have those conversations with the other girls in the, you know, in our locker room about, has anyone got a tampon? (laughs) That kind of thing. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. And you said you felt grown up. So you had the conversations with your friends at school. How did you learn about, apart from the conversations with your sister, how else did you learn about what was happening to you beyond just getting your period? 
So I come from a really big family of women. You know, I have lots of aunties, or I had, some of them are not with us, but I had, you know, aunties who were very close, female cousins, similar age to me, my sister. And so we, when we spent a lot of time together um, in my childhood. So those conversations around periods and kind of changes, bodily changes and adolescence and stuff were very free and open. So I guess I learned a lot from within my family setting. But again, at school, you know, the standard, standard menstrual health education that was churned out. <laughs> I, got a, I, I got a bit of that, which at the end of the day is biology and, you know, it was informative. I mean, even if now we look at that kind of teaching as so kind of bizarre that, you know, only the girls were allowed to learn about it. Um, you know, it was treated in a very hush, hush kind of like, okay, well, this is what happens to you each month. So get on with it, girls, but keep it quiet. Now that is changing, obviously, but, um, but yeah, obviously I found it useful at the time, for mm. sure. And then we got, we got free tampons at the end of the session. So <laughs> <laughs> when you got your period, you said you felt like you were part of a club. Did you continue to have a positive experience with your period as you went through your teenage years? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I never kind of master and I, I didn't ever really go on any hormonal contraceptive during my teenage years so I didn't ever have that kind of so I never I never sort of was advised to take that because I was managing some sort of uh, menstrual health problems or even you know being sex, starting to be sexually active you know I wasn't uh, using hormonal contraceptive so I was very kind of in tune with my period and uh don't recall it being a problem until actually I got into my 20s when I noticed it started to get a bit heavier. I noticed issues around sort of mood changes, uh, you know, each month. Um, so, yeah, but on the whole, not really a problematic thing. I think my experience of periods were, were pretty good. However, I got, I was pregnant when I was 23 and, um, I had, yes, I had a, yes, I had a pregnancy when I was 23. And I do recall that that after having my son, there were some changes to mm. my menstrual cycle. Just noticed that things were, you know, got sort of heavier. My symptoms around my menstrual cycle were different, you know, and perhaps not as, you know, not pleasant symptoms. And it was around that time that I kind of really got switched on to, understanding my body and being more in tune with it realizing that actually you know when I kept my body weight to a certain um level you know I would experience perhaps sort of better health for me um or if I ate certain things I would feel you know better around my menstrual cycle so that's actually kind of partly what led me into studying my degree in nutritional therapy and health sciences you you started to tune into your menstrual cycle, and then when you made the changes around um, what you ate, did you notice a difference in the bleeding? What the flow? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, certainly, 
I mean, so interestingly, when I was at university studying for my degree, we had a polyclinic, which was a, um, you know, a, a working clinic where we would have, you know, live patients and we saw them for, you know, two, three years, uh, two years of the degree. And lots of women who came into the clinic who we treat and who I was learning through um, or learning with had menstrual health problems. And that's where it really started to kind of click for me that the impact of diet and lifestyle in helping to modify and improve menstrual health symptoms and reproductive health symptoms. Uh, so yes, so in, in, in theory, yes. And for me, certainly adopting certain changes, incorporating certain nutrients, um, you know, exercising in a different way, you know, uh, limiting stress in my life, that type of thing, for sure, mm. um, reduced issues around the sort of heavy bleeding and uh, menstrual kind of emotional side of things, yeah. After you were able to resolve those issues, what would you say your period, your relationship with your period was like as you went through your 20s and then into your 30s? So I felt... I think that understanding my body more, obviously I was doing my degree, I, I, you know, I graduated, I then, you know, was, was using this knowledge, you know, in my work, you know, and working with women and, and in this area and seeing the results and seeing how incredible um, the fo- if you just focus on, you know, these natural approaches to menstrual health imbalances, how beneficial that can be. So I was really charged up and energized by seeing those results, you know, in myself, because obviously, you know, you do things for yourself, but you don't know if that's just you and you don't know if it's going to work with lots of other people. But, you know, I see this in clinical practice. I see the benefits of all this, as you probably do as well. Uh, So that really um, sort of charged me, charged me forward. And my relationship with my period, sorry, Lenise, <laughs> I think I'm, I'm meandering with the question. I think I was answering my, the question I wanted to answer. What, what, what did you say? Sorry. <laughs> um, what was your relationship like? What did it become after, you know, when you first got your period, it, it was cool. You were part of the gang, part of the club. And then through your 20s and 30s, after having gone through a pregnancy your period changing how did your relationship change as you started to resolve some of the issues that you had had so I guess just being prepared you know thinking about my period in a different way in a deeper way trying to kind of understand the rhythm of my cycle and this was before the kind of language that we have now around the four phases around, you know, tapping into your superpowers and, and, and looking at those sim- that sort of cluster of symptoms that are associated with PMS as a positive of a potentially positive things. So I was certainly tracking my symptoms and tracking my experience, but more in my head. It wasn't mm-hmm. something that uh, I was, you know, writing down or, 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 or obviously logging. We didn't have those apps in, in those days. Um, so, yeah, so I guess that was my relationship. I was much more aware of what was going on for me. Mm. 
Um, and then, and then if I found that there were changes, for example, if I did have a particularly heavy period one month or, you know, there were, I was suffering for some reason around my menstrual cycle, I would stop and reassess and look at my diet again and maybe review my supplement protocol and uh, address my health through, through that, mm. through those uh, methods. Yeah. Given the work that you do and you know, your vast clinical experience, why would you? Why do you say that we don't get taught about these things in school? You know, we t- get taught about the biology of periods and potentially the menstrual cycle. Why do you think we don't get taught that you know we can be proactive about managing our menstrual health? Why do you think we we are not taught? Yeah. I mean, that's a, it's a really good question. I guess it takes a long time for, you know, the science that, you know, is published and, and discussed and discussed with NICE and, and, and you know, the uh, public health, England and all of these different kind of bodies to filter down into the kind of accessible language and uh, that we know now and that many of us use and is out there but I guess it will come Um, you know I think that it would be really important it'd be really useful actually for uh, the NHS for example to employ more nutritional therapists for example who do deal with this kind of language to help consult on sort of education around menstrual health in schools for example that would be really great and it would bring things into a it would modernize the the approach in teaching this area of science and biology to children from the digital age who have access to so much information that's easier to digest. Yeah. It's interesting because you, you said that this, this, um, this line, the language has changed and people have a different vocabulary now uh, to talk about their periods and their menstrual health. And I certainly see it and it's becoming more accessible. Um, In your clinical practice, what are the things that you most typically see? In terms of health? Yeah, menstrual health. Oh, menstrual health. Okay. I would certainly say we're looking at sort of that emotional side so looking at emotional shifts at anxiety um and depression so lots of mood related issues that that are cyclical so they come within the ovarian cycle at specific times and usually you know my patients are very aware of that and very aware of the association between their menstrual cycle and these mood swings um so yeah, so looking at that is, is is major. I would also say that weight is also uh, weight management is also quite key uh, when you think how hormonally driven our appetite is and our you know weight how we manage weight and uh, sorry how we metabolize um, weight and, and our our energy. It is. Yeah, and it's very much you know connected to the menstrual cycle. So yes, weight issues and mood, yeah, anxiety and depression really key. It's interesting you say weight issues because it's you no know, you and I 
both as health professionals, as clinical practitioners, know that weight has an impact on on health. But it feels sometimes that it's hard to have those conversations because there is so much, you know, there's rightly so, there's a big conversation about anti-diet culture, but it feels like the some of the nuance around that has been lost because as you say, weight management is important because of, you know, certainly um, the, you know, if you have a lot of adipose tissue, it can be estrogenic um, and that can have an impact on, on hormone and menstrual health. So it feels tricky to have, certainly have these conversations in public um, without then almost not getting attacked, but people saying, oh, well, you're just getting into diet culture when there's a legitimate health conversation around how weight management affects hormone and menstrual health. Absolutely. Um, I mean, as I said, you know, when, you know, when I'm dealing with my clinical practice, women who come to see me, around the weight issue are bringing it up themselves so you know it's not me saying well I think that you need to they've come to talk about this and as you'll know you know as soon as you start that listening to the patient's story and understanding you know you know what what's the history there you know what's you know what were the triggers what you know what's mediating this situation and 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 starting to make these connections between perhaps overweight and mood issues around you know, menstrual cycle health and perhaps there's acne involved or perhaps there's, you know, these different issues. And actually as practitioners, we're able to see that, well, that sounds like imbalance. So actually your weight management is something that you see and you may want to to, to address, but actually we're also going to address some of these underlying things that you can't see necessarily, but you're feeling them and experiencing them because there's, an imbalance there you know your body is out of balance so and then it's it's up to people to you know if they want to kind of listen to that and hear it in that way rather than thinking that that's a focus on, a, on an aesthetic level or whatever but yeah hmm. so separating it out from legitimate health a legitimate health conversation from it being more of a an aesthetic I uh, conversation that's kind of steeped in diet diet culture so separating those two I completely agree with it and that's what I do in my practice I never say to any anyone oh I think you need to lose weight I couldn't imagine having that conversation but if they come to me and say that as with you that's a concern then I will help them address it uh, I, well, yeah, I mean, you know, completely. And, you know, that's our kind of, you know, as a good, a good, as good practitioners, you know, we're going to, you know, look after, you know, the people that come to see us and, and treat them sensitively and, and all of that. Of course, and I think you would, you know, totally agree with this, you know, if we're identifying a condition like polycystic ovarian syndrome, we know the relationship between insulin there and, mm. you know, weight um, gain. And we know that by modifying and, and, and reducing weight in that picture, you can really help um, reduce, uh, you know, the polycystic ovary kind of symptomology any across the board. So, you know, in that instance, 
yes, I, I would suggest weight loss as part of that protocol for sure. Mm. Mm. Okay. I want to ask about some of the work that you do. You said that you take a personal interest in female reproductive health issues, including those that disproportionately affect black women. Let's talk a little bit about that because I'm personally interested in that myself. Um, what do you, what issues are you, do you typically see when, when looking at black women? So again, it may not be something that's um, a sort of names condition, you know, I, you know, I see mood disorders um, as a common issue in uh, some of my black patients, female patients. So that's actually something that's quite common. Uh, and actually, when you look at the, the, the numbers there, you know, black women in the UK have very high rates and risk of mental health disorders, uh, which is, you know, why and, you know, how, is, how are they being supported? And, you know, that's a major thing. If you don't have your mental health in check, you know, I mean, it's difficult, you know, life is very, very difficult and, and you're not living your best life. So that in itself is a, is a major one. However, you know, there are issues that, you know, that we know about such as fibroids, uterine fibroids, which is now being discussed, you know, in America, I understand that, you know, they are putting in, you know, millions of dollars into the research of, uterine fibroids and the risk in black women, you know, which is a, a major thing because this is a condition that can affect fertility. This is a, a condition that can affect quality of life enormously. And black women have been living with it for a long time. So, you know, to, to, to understand more about why, you know, this is going on uh, is going to be really, really, you know, uh, important and uh, yeah, great, great research. Mm. Yeah, I think going in deeper into fibroids and how they affect women, black women is going to be so powerful. And hopefully we'll move away from, I, I was speaking to this doctor who specializes, he's out in, I think, I want to say Georgia in the US. And he was saying that in the US, hysterectomy is the number one treatment for fibroids. And mm. I just think that's so crazy because you have these women who who can don't need to have a hysterectomy, who have, there are other routes that they can take who are having these unnecessary hysterectomies and then having to deal with the aftermath, whether they have a partial hysterectomy or a full hysterectomy. And I just, you know, speaking to clients who have come to me and said, yeah, my doctor, I have these fibroids. And my doctor says to me, the only route for me is a hysterectomy. And then talking to them about the potential alternatives for them, they've come to me and said, you know, it's really, it's life changing because they can then think about, well, perhaps I can then go on to have a child. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, what's really exciting, Denise, is that there are, you know, some brilliant black doctors here in the UK who have, you know, so much 
knowledge around this issue and, you know, have researched them in their degrees, you know, their medical degrees. And you know, I've been chatting with quite a few in, you know, in, the, in recent weeks. And, you know, so, you know, the, the, the interest and the qualified people to do and uh, undertake, you know, and carry out this research, you know, they're out there and, you know, yes. So, you know, I'm, I'm really, really optimistic that, we're going to be moving into a time where black women's health is, you know, going to be a focus and more of a focus and research, the money is going to be put into the research. Mm. Yeah. I want to go back to what you were saying about mood issues and the effects that they've, they've disproportionately had on black women in the UK. So firstly, can you tell me a little bit more why, what you mean when you say mood issues? So mood issues, so that could be anything from anxiety, low mood, mood fluctuations, depression, uh, mild depression, you know, clinical depression, um, just negative thinking. I mean, there's a whole obviously spectrum of things that come under mood disorders. Obviously, if someone's dealing with something much more serious, like, you know, well, whatever schizophrenia so that's out of my remit but those types of issues that can be affected by hormonal issues or can be exacerbated by obviously we never know all the aspects that are going on in, in a person's life until they come into the practice and we talk and hopefully we get that information out of them and we can look at the issues the other things that are going on in their environment but often diet when you're not feeling good, diet can be disrupted or it can be not a focus. And actually the very act of looking after themselves through improving diet, perhaps looking at different nutrients, perhaps getting on a supplement protocol. Um, it could be that they are also experiencing very heavy bleeds. Perhaps they've got iron loss and then iron deficiency. They're not, that hasn't been addressed and that can obviously affect mood uh, regulation, mood, mood balance. So there are lots of things to, to look at. And um, I'm not saying that nutrition is going to be the fix all for a mood disorder, but it's definitely one part of the plan. Hmm. Um, you're the co-founder of an app called Moody. So this kind of segs nicely into the conversation about the work you do here. So tell, tell listeners more about why you decided that building an app called Moody was the right right thing to do. Are you talking about the name or the actual app content? Uh, both. Oh. Yeah? yeah. Okay. So I think I don't know if we've discussed it before. Maybe we have. It's just obviously some people ask us about the name all the time. Um, so I'll go back to the story. So uh, Amy, who is our CEO and our the founder of, of Moody, you know, we, we met um, maybe four years ago and, you know, it really was a kind of stars aligning moment where she was ready and she was exiting a business that she had set up and she was ready for creating something new. And she had this incredible idea that was in its embryonic stage and it was just ideas and, you know, a few calculations and things. And we met and we just used to meet in these cafes and just like flesh things out and come up with ideas around this, this, the concept of, of this app. And, you know, we did this for about 
six six or seven months and just really enjoyed each other's energy around it and, and company. It just felt so right, you know, more right than anything. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty well done in, in my in my work career. Um, so we we were doing all this, and then very quickly we started to put some of this, these ideas down and create a platform, so a web platform. And we wanted to sort of kind of own the space and, and, and start putting this content. So we were kind of writing articles and, and, and doing something on a very low budget, but we, we got it out there. And then we basically started, we, we launched, we did a soft launch and we launched the, the concept of Moody and, you know, with our networks in sort of creative agencies and in media and stuff like that, we managed to have this incredible launch and there was so much excitement around the products and the idea of it. And from there we raised money. So we raised money based on the concepts, based on the existing web platform and these amazing ideas for the app. So when, so talking about the actual name Moody, so it just felt like a no brainer. I mean, actually we, it was just that idea that we wanted to kind of reclaim this word, you know, the, the moody cow, the, you know, what happens at, you know, in your period. And it's all these negative associations around your menstrual cycle being moody, but actually moods are what makes us human. And, you know, moods can be positive and more reflective. Sometimes we can certainly experience moods as a very negative experience, but Actually, we are delving deeper into that. We're looking at, well, why do you experience that kind of mood? Is that a time for you to be reflective in, during your cycle? Is that a time to be quiet and more insular and get on with something that's quieter if you're not feeling social and gregarious and all of those things? It doesn't have to be seen as negative, I guess. And it's that whole kind of talk about tapping into your superpowers, you know, during your cycle and looking at each of those moods as something to kind of tap into and, and, and utilize and, and, and help to optimize, you know, your sort of day and experience. I really love that because we get taught, there's this kind of cultural message that we get taught that mood, mood swings and being like, as you say, a moody cow is inevitable and something that we just, as when we have a period or we have periods, we, we, that's just part of having a menstrual cycle, having a period. And it, it doesn't have to be that way. And I really, really love what you said about how, you know, we have moods. They're, they're range from all, they're all ends of the spectrum. And it, when we, we need to embrace these moods rather than looking at them as something to fight against. And that's really, that's quite countercultural, I'd say, certainly at this at this moment Um, well I think that you know we've had I mean you know it's been such a an amazing space to be part of you know growing moody month um you know we're obviously so proud of the product that we've created you know visually conceptually the amount of work and the experts that we've had involved in in creating the app has been you know it's just been a privilege to be part of it and you know, we know from our feedback that lots of women have found it, you know, of use and continue to. And, you know, as we go forward, we, we've got some amazing ideas for the app that are coming over the next years. 
Uh, we've actually got a book coming out as well. Amy's, Amy's actually edited, authored this book called Moody, which is coming out um, in March to 2021. Um, so, you know, that's, that's exciting as well. So that's kind of going to kind of condense and kind of expand on some of the concepts around hormone behavior and the female experience. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Well, I'll definitely look, look out for that. So with the app itself, what um, you, how long has it been? It's been around for three years. Um, since you launched the app, getting into the, more into the idea of female entrepreneurship, um, what kind of things have you learned being a part of this, this app? So going back to that moment that I met Amy and, you know, our clicking, you know, that, that feeling of something feeling right was really insightful, actually. Now I realize that, you know, you can, you can know those things. You can know whether or not, because stepping into a business partnership with somebody can, you know, it's, it's daunting because, you know, it's a long journey. There's blood, sweat and tears going into the project. You just want to make sure you're working with the right person. But she really was that person for me. And obviously I was for her and the team that we grew. I can't, I mean, you've met, Linise, you've met some of our team and absolutely amazing women, you know, women I call friends, you know, women that I've learned so much from and we've managed to have a kind of beautiful experience while working incredibly hard. So I guess, I, you know, to ask, answer your question, I think that people, you know, they're, they're obviously your, your vibe <laughs> tracks your tribe. Yeah. I know that feels kind of a bit frivolous, but that's really how it felt, you know, growing Moody and everyone that was engaged with it uh, and came on board has felt completely right, the right fit. Yeah. So work with people that you connect with, not only on a kind of business level, but on a personal personal level as well. Well, I think that we, maybe it's kind of too much for me to, to say, you know, you must connect with them on a personal level because, you know, maybe that's just, it was a luxury and it was a real gift for us at this time and for me. Uh, and it was just a, a lucky, uh, more of a luck thing as well. But yes, obviously, if you can work with people that you enjoy and that you get, then that makes the experience of working such long hours and giving your all to much more enjoyable. But I guess it's also interesting that, you know, we were creating a product that a bunch of us women were creating a product that, of course, there have been other apps and there are other apps, very successful ones that are period trackers, but how we were doing our app or how we presented it was different. And we were looking at, we were the, you know, the four phases and kind of breaking things down in a, in a slightly different way and very much focused on, on moods as well. Mm. And that coming, working as women, working on an app like that was obviously, you know, that's kind of like what connects us. Like we, we were all in our different ways experiencing our periods and or cycles or hormones or whatever. And so we had lots to talk about. <laughs> so it was a nice space. And we all knew, we all knew when anyone was on a period because we had it on a, on a, uh, a you know, a board. Yeah. So we'd know who's, 
who's who's in which phase so we could give tasks to them based on their on their um you know phase of their menstrual cycle <laughs> that's amazing i love that Talk for listeners who who don't really know what that means can you talk about what sort of tasks you would you would typically suggest um for each phase of the menstrual cycle Okay, I mean, I, I was probably exaggerating a bit more, but we what, what I was saying is that we were definitely more gentle or considerate or whatever around um, <laughs> around people's phases. But you know, as as you know, you know, the, our, our four phases have quite common um, patterns with most women in most women. So, you know, and they, these these patterns of emotional and physical uh, experiences are following the patterns of our hormonal fluctuations. So the rising of estrogen and progesterone, the dropping of these things, the rising of testosterone throughout the cycle can influence how we feel energetically, how we feel around sleep, how we feel sexually, how we feel emotionally. So yes, I I don't know, do you really want me to go through the four? Uh, No, no, you don't. Go go <laughs> check out check out Moody Month and Lanice's Instagram or something and you'll learn all about it. <laughs> yeah, if for listeners who want to know more, there are quite a few episodes where we get into each of the four phases of the menstrual cycle. But as Lola says, the the Moody Month app is an amazing resource and I would encourage anyone who hasn't downloaded it to download it and really dig into how you can track your cycle across each of the four phases through the app and connect it with your moods and then go deeper if you want to, or just, you know, do it at a, at a really high, high level. If they want to download the app, how do they do that? So downloading the app, it's free download from the app store. So you can just put in Moody Month, you'll find it. And um, yeah. Then that's it. I would also like to say, I mean, I've, I've mentioned it before, but you know, with Moody Month, it it was also such an exciting project to to start because it was this idea of being able to provide for free at the moment um, this incredibly sort of detailed and um, you know progressive information to women across the world um that of course you know there are books now that are written about you know a lot of the work that that we have in our in our app but in terms of an app in terms of nutrition in terms of medical content you know often this kind of information you would get from a private consultation as we do um and being in private practice as a nutritional therapist you know you unfortunately at the NHS here in the UK they don't do don't employ nutritional therapists very regularly so you know the only way that we can offer our services is is through paid for um a paid for service so I love the fact that I'm able to put all this information out there in the app the content that I've written and studied hard for and share with my private practice but I can actually put put this in the app and it's great brilliant information 
What I love about your journey is that you studied originally, you had your degree, you studied, and you became a nutritional therapist, but then you took a different path. So of course you still have your clinical practice, but I think it's a really good example for anyone who's listening, who is currently studying and thinking, well, I don't necessarily want to strictly work in clinic or work with people on a one-to-one basis to show them that there are other routes that that can be taken. You, you know, you can found a business, you can go deeper into your area of specialism and then build a business around that. So I think what you're doing is incredible. I love the app. Um, and if listeners want to learn more about you and working with you, uh, how would they connect with you? Okay, so the first part of that question about learning uh, about taking your nutrition knowledge after graduation and real and, and looking at where which other avenues you can take in, in, in rather than just being in private practice or you may decide not to be in private practice at all but what can you do with this qualification is such a great question Lenise because I know that when I was studying I you know I found it really intense it was a full-time degree I was just totally like in this kind of like serious academic zone for so long and by the time I finished I felt like oh my god I've just been so serious for so long and I just wasn't sure if I could sit in a clinic space kind of quite solitary um I wasn't sure if I could do it so I had to take a small break before I actually stepped into clinical practice but yeah I guess if I had known that there were options like working or either working for an app or, or starting your own and working in it with a team, that would have been really, really exciting to have known that that's a possibility. And it's a whole other thing because, you know, as I say, I have been working with a big team, meeting people. I deal with them on a daily basis, connected to a whole kind of world of, you know, female tech, amazing people. Um, so there's a whole load of learnings that I've had through that but obviously alongside it I've had to always have my clinical practice because you know those living breathing skills you know you have to have them you have to understand what that clinical encounter is in real life otherwise you're only being theoretical so my advice around that is never you know keep definitely have your clinical experience you know don't be scared just go for it find your niche, find what it is that interests you and become good at that area because you can't be good at all areas. Mm. Um, well, you can, I suppose, but you know, you'll be very good in one particular area and people will come to you as well if they know that you're specialized in one particular area and then look around. Um, even, I mean, there are some colleges, I can't, I don't know where you studied, but I remember advertising when we first, uh, started moody and i was looking for practitioners uh, naturopathic practitioners to come and to write content and stuff and i advertised at some well-known um uh, natural health colleges in in london so always look at notice boards as well and see who's publishing what and also oh, who's um advertising what kinds of positions and yeah explore. so that was part one of your question and now i've talked too long i can't remember <laughs> 
if if listeners really connect with you and they want to find out more about you and working with you in in your private clinic how would they connect with you okay so for sure email me is is the best thing you can find my contact details on my web platform which is lolaross.com which is the preferred method and we can take it from there. But um, at the moment, and you've probably been doing the same, you know, since lockdown and everything, you know, m- my clinic actually closed, which is, you know, sad. And my clinical physical space closed, which is, yeah, it's a shame. But um, so working on, you know, virtual sessions has been absolutely brilliant and, and actually, you know, expanded my clients and my patients to a much kind of broader uh you know different countries around the world so there are limitations with that but you know I love that that clinical encounter that you know seeing and and seeing someone in the in the flesh but I guess that will come back so Mm. yeah but at the moment yeah I'm online okay great and all the details will be in the show notes um if listeners take one thing from all of the brilliant pearls of wisdom that you've shared today what would you want that to be? I think it has to be for women listening who are, I think, yeah, I think probably this, the thing I'd, I'd leave is that keep listening to your body, tap into the intelligence of your body and realize that what's happening, happening for you now may not be what's happening for you next year you know our bodies change our cycles change our environment changes and all of those things can contribute to menstrual health changes so yes I would say just keep aware of that and um, and and remember that you know your period is or your menstrual cycle is important um, an important part of your kind of health and well-being in terms of keeping it in balance. Uh, tap into the intelligence of your cycle. I love that. I think that's so, so important. Thank you so, so much for coming onto the show, Lola. It's been wonderful to speak to you. You're so welcome, honey. You're so good. And thank you for doing this brilliant podcast. I mean, I know you've been at it for a while and, you know, you've had some amazing guests and, you know, I think, yeah, hearing those, sharing those stories, those our period stories is, is just one of those um, important steps of breaking down, continuing to break down taboos and understanding that we're all sharing a similar story. They may be different stories, but ultimately they're around our hormones (laughs) (laughs) for more inspiring conversations head over to periodstorypod.com where we have so many more for you to peruse if you want help with your menstrual or hormone health email me on hello at eatlovemove.com to set up a free 30-minute hormone health review if you like today's show please don't forget to subscribe rate and review wherever you get your podcasts tag us come say hi and send in your requests for who you'd like to see on the show on instagram and twitter on at period story pod or email us at hello at period i'm lenise brothers and you've been listening to period story 
Thank you so much for listening.